0: Edward Samuels. You the state champion?
1: Was.
2: Iowa 79. Name's Roy Munson. Ishmael Borg. Your talent and my knowledge, you could be a champion. I mean that.
1: You're threatened to foreclose on the land. Is there anything I could do? Not unless you can figure out
0: a way to come up with a half million dollars. You just come down to this. One ball. One strike. $1 $1 million. Right. The loser gets no. The reel is finished. The house lights are up. It's time to examine Kingpin as part of our ongoing series on losing the big game. This is Fields of Glory and I'm Biggs.
1: And I am Aaron and hot garbage with meatballs, Biggs. This movie was work. <laughs> from start to finish, this movie was work. Obviously, everyone is going to say product of its time hasn't aged well. I'm going to say it was long. It was sexist. It was racist. It was transphobic. It was just too 90s in ways that I really hope you can explain. It cuts to music with snappy drums and jangly guitar. and it sounds like we're going on a road trip, it does that too much. This movie, I feel like, does that every, like, four minutes. It's like, here comes the music, we're going on a road trip, and I'm like, we just did that. I know it's the Farley Brothers, yeah. but Dumb and Dumber, I feel like, has far fewer of these. Am I wrong?
0: <laughs> almost every Farley Brothers movie, like when it's those two making a movie together, it's almost always involves a big road trip. I get it, but this one is like way over the top. But it like... <laughs> kind of has to be for this movie because that mm. is what bowling is.
1: Because they're, they're on the road, they're doing the tour, and if they were a band, it would be the same thing.
0: That's actually one of the few positive notes that I'll have about this. By the way, just for reference, movie still makes me laugh. Uh, A lot of stuff I'm uncomfortable with has not aged well.
1: What makes you laugh? I was struggling because a lot of people like this movie and a lot of people say a lot of the laughs hold up and I try not to be, you know, a stick in the mud. I try to find funny things that I think are funny. And I did write Law one time and I'll try to find it. But that was it. What do you think are the funny moments in this movie?
0: When Vanessa Angel goes to get the beer and her nipples come out, Randy Quaid follows that up by going over to get the beer and then his nipples are popping up that makes me laugh Uh there's a lot of stuff like that that's just stupid like watching an Amish guy who is trying to walk the straight and narrow and then by a certain point at the end of a montage he's smoking a bong in the back of a car (laughs) that made me laugh
1: he has he-man hair I always try to call out a head of he-man hair when I see it and he has he-man hair in this movie
0: absolutely (laughs) very (laughs) Prince Adam specifically
1: yes yes because that is the Amish <laughs> alter ego. Uh, We're not talking about that today.
0: Bill Murray very 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 problematic. We're really just finding out how problematic he's been lately. Do you want to talk about that up top? This was not an issue that we knew about when we picked this movie because we picked the batches way ahead of time. The whole thing with Bill Murray had not come out when we picked this movie. I think it's probably good in the end that we did though because I think it definitely feeds into some conversations we're going to have have with this. But if I'm being honest, Bill Murray, I don't think is a good dude. I've really questioned that the last couple of years. Yeah. I've heard some other stories not about sexist things that made me look at Bill Murray in a different light. But he still makes me laugh in this because he's doing the Michael Jordan thing at the end. And that really makes me laugh because it's Michael Jordan as he is, not as the media wants you to think he is. What
1: What is the Michael Jordan thing? Elaborate on that for our audience.
0: I will do anything to win. I will celebrate my. Mm -hmm. and then people will just look the other way because they want to celebrate him so hard because he's on a commercial for example right
2: i'm
1: ernie mccracken when i found out little billy here was growing up without a daddy
0: i had to do something he's doing terrible things on on that commercial that is a lot of michael jordan commercials
1: it's made to be it's it's parodic it's campy it's over the top
0: it's a tough world these kids nearly got munson but they're back now through the unified Fund. I found out that if you give a little, you can get back and it's right at the time that Michael Jordan is at his height. They are making a one-to-one with that. 1996. I think he had just won his fifth championship. He's at his absolute peak, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of media saturation, I think. He's come back from baseball. He just won two more championships. He's about to win another one. And there was all this crazy stuff about Jordan if you looked for it and everybody wanted to ignore it because it's the guy who sells us McDonald's. It's the guy who's in Looney Tunes movies.
1: I mean, he apparently he's in here but he's not in here i found myself wondering if my dissatisfaction with bill murray in this movie was due to all of the stuff that you are talking about that is fairly recent but also fairly confirming if we had been paying attention and you and i at least have and you know a lot of people i know have and we've been waiting for the shoe to drop quietly and here it is and and so you know i think that this is a good movie for that because it is like saying the quiet part out loud
0: what's the story behind this pending paternity suit against you Oh, that's not a case at all. The woman's a stone-faced liar. Let's not even talk about that. I-, I pulled out her really early on that one. Sorry, thanks for coming. I
2: can do anything I want, and I can get myself a and I'll walk! Finally, so- Big Earn is about the law!
1: But my point is that for me, the best stuff is the Ghostbusters stuff where he is just kind of dopey and then Scrooged. I think Scrooged to me is like if he's going to be the bad guy, the sleazeball, there's something about Scrooge that is just as campy and just as over the top and just as sleazy. And this movie, he just looks tired to me. He just looks like, I don't know. I feel like he was going through the motions. And I hate to be that guy, you know, and maybe this isn't necessary for the whole episode. But I just, I don't know, man, I I, I want watched this movie thinking that he would give me moments. And to be frank, most of the time he was around and most of the time this movie was on, I was just watching that runtime, <laughs> wondering what I have done with my life. Uh, but then I remembered that we are studying important things. Did It gave me a good reason to go back. We're going to talk once again. Of course, obviously, we're going to keep bringing up this conversation about hegemonic masculinity. This Trujillo article is going to hit all the way through. It hits really well in this one. And uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, it let me like look at The Buffoon. We can have a good conversation about the dirty poor objection and everyone and poor people, right? This movie is just rank, yep. I will say, underscoring that <laughs> with that. Uh, and yeah, misogyny. Definitely this movie is a case study in misogyny, and that's part of why we're doing the show. So there you go.
0: And it's also the mid-90s frozen in amber.
1: The comment of the episode.
0: <laughs> Everything from Woody Harrelson trying to subvert his squeaky clean image at the time. He wasn't even known as the pot guy at this point, yeah. right? Like that would be a couple <laughs> years away. So they're making a real subversion of his Cheers character at this point because you're like three years out, and Woody Harrelson is really trying to break away from being Woody Boyd. We've got Blues Traveler at the end. There was exactly one year that they would have shown up in, at the end credits of a movie, and, and that was 1996. My and friend. they got it, and they put it in Amber. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> When you said it's the 90s Frozen in Amber, I was like, for me, the 90s are a road trip song, a ska song. And blues traveler credits, and this movie is that. This is is what this sounds like to me. This is if you do these things to me at any time, I'll be like 1995, 96, 94, 1997. Where are we? Is this 1996? What's happened? Am I? My dad says when he jumped in a pool once and he smelled the chlorine, he had a blast back to his childhood years when he used to swim. And I'm like, it's that. Except with the soundscape of this movie, I want to love the 90s. you know, I really do. And I like Dumb and Dumber. And and we could pick that movie apart too for all sorts of important reasons. And I see the fingerprint. I just really wanted to be like, this one feels like the Farley Brothers going too much with the road trip, but you have at least explained that. And I will just say, I don't like it. (laughs) It's
0: exhausting. No, I'm going to be honest, man. I have a tortured relationship with the Farleys because I mm. like some of the old movies I'm also very very much against his best picture movie like Peter Farley mm. got best picture a little while ago and they beat out a Spike Lee movie for example <laughs> um, right it was my cup of tea <laughs> And that was terrible because it was like an updated driving Miss Daisy and the family didn't want it. And I'm not even going to say the name because I just don't (laughs) want people to watch that movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a tortured relationship with them and comedy as a genre ages the worst of all movie genres, because what we think is funny just changes over the years. And what's over the line changes over the years too. make no mistake about it. Kingpin, when it came out in the nineties to the general public was not over the line and it is over the line now. And I'm not <laughs> saying that it was ever right. It wasn't. Well, you can watch a dramatic movie and it has something over the line. But a lot of the time it's like a bad character doing it so you can understand it. You know, but in a comedy it just hits different and it's not going to make you laugh unless you've seen it before. So comedy just ages the worst of all of them. Even like the movies that last a long time like Ghostbusters which I'm starting to look at like is it going to age well now?
1: Mm-mm. I'm shaking my head. Mm-mm.
0: Even even a movie like Ghostbusters is made Mixed with another genre, right? Like it's a little bit mixed with the horror movie genre. So that's what makes it last. If they don't mix with something, it's really, really hard for a comedy to stand out. Blazing Saddles. Recognized as one of the funniest movies ever made for a while. Now people are like, I don't know if I want to talk about that one.
1: I do think that the ability to say the quiet part out loud in, in public or to laugh at it in public and to not be confronted, that has obviously changed drastically and that always changes. And that does update what you're saying. And here I agree with you fundamentally that what is and isn't, quote, over the line in terms of the public vocabulary clearly demonstrably changes. That's empirical. I, I do think you're right that comedy is, is one of the places where this will be very cringy and like romance movies too. It will be like, can't watch this, just can't watch this. I, this can be a classic but I just can't sit here and watch this movie anymore. But I think that, and I, you'd probably agree, right? That there's, is, there's definitely comedy out there that is forever. It is forever hilarious.
0: I think it's forever funny to the people it was made for, but not necessarily to the next generations. That's part of the problem.
1: I hear what you're saying, but I think that, you know, maybe this is worth it and maybe it's not. I think it is because this is a comedy. We talk a lot in debate and criticism about who gets punished for laughter, right? And this is kind of what you're talking about. But, you know, there's definitely absurdism and absurdism is a good example where uh, we can default to hegemonic frames because we're just trying to bust everything up without a critical alternative. But absurdism doesn't necessarily punish people the way that like parody or satire uh, or those frames will. But here's the thing, when you punch up into power, when you use parody on the people who oppress you, I think that's always funny. I I think that that kind of stands the test of time.
0: And I hear you there, but also a lot of people don't have the frame of reference when they watch it and they don't care Mm -hmm. to know the frame of reference, which is why I say comedy age is the worst. With a dramatic movie, there's something where the audience will accept that, okay, this is in a different time. So they kind of like let themselves fall into the time. With comedy, the point is to laugh. And so I think people are not willing to do the work with that a lot of the time. Like, I'll give you an example. The Universal monster movies, right? You had like Abbott and Costello. Now, I think a lot of people understand that who's on first is a classic routine. No,
2: strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames. Pet not, names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funnier than oh, that? Oh, absolutely.
0: But have you known anybody who actually laughs at who's on first anymore? Like people our age or younger? Like nobody laughs at that anymore.
2: Do you know the fellow's names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? What are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is?
0: Because our first? just the way they deliver comedy has changed so much. Just the timing. They always talk about comedic timing. It changes over the years too. You know, like we are much much quicker. And so when you look at the kids watching TikTok videos now, they like their comedy very rapid fire. And you're just not getting that in a movie like Kingpin. You're not getting that from Abbott and Costello. You're not getting that from Mel Brooks necessarily. Yeah, I love Mel Brooks. I cannot get any of my kids to watch a Mel Brooks movie for anything. Doesn't even matter if it's something that they kind of, like Spaceballs. I was like, well, this one might get them. They all know Star Wars. They don't care. (laughs) They don't care at all.
1: I would reiterate a lot of what I said and agree with you at the same time. <laughs> if that makes sense, I think that both of the things that I said and what you've said are true that that the tastes of the public and especially young folks change pretty dramatically and that timing and affect and there's so many things that go into that change over time. And it's rhythmic. I've been sitting here trying to come up with a really good example to make the point. But what I will say is that I watch four movies every year with a bunch of college students. And I've done that for like 13, 14 years now. And that's not the best sample, but it is a sample. And there's jokes that everyone will or won't laugh at and cringe at. And we talk about those jokes and whether they'll do that work or not. And they're like, I don't want to do that work. But there's also just moments that are funny. <laughs> it's just moments that that when it happens, everybody just laughs at that. It just, it is funny. And I think that if I can come up with some examples, I will to make my point. And where I think this movie comes back into the center of the conversation, because this is in fact what we are here to do do
0: yes. Let's <laughs> talk about this freaking piece of work is um, this is a big part of sports movies though there's a lot of them that are comedies like I think this is relevant
1: that is a good point and that got me thinking I asked you um before if this is a bromance and you said yes and now I'm gonna say no I think it's missing the fundamental component as I was going back and recutting the bromance from the alien movie project we talked about it there I had a whole bunch there so I dug it all up took forever through those stacks but I found it and the fundamental component that I think is missing is that Woody Harrelson harrelson's character and randy Quaid's character are not bitter about women and that is not a fundamental part of what binds them together and that is as i understand it when i go reading the technical uh, language of what in the critical world what a bromance is the key that makes that the swap of the hetero normative homophobic expectation that then is allowable to play off this movie is just buffoonery
0: i'll see that to you too i didn't know how to answer that and i was like well i guess by the end they kind of love each other so i just thought i i I didn't actually know what went into a bromance for this
1: they are both in love with the idea of a half million dollars (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) for different very different reasons but at the end i mean i'd say at every point randy quaid is looking up to woody harrelson's character and woody harrelson looks up to randy quaid's character at the end of the movie right yeah it's a very planes trains and automobiles situation
1: sure (laughs) what's the story at the tapings
0: Roy Munson under the tutelage of his father wins the 1979 Iowa Bowling Championship. After defeating Ernie McCracken, Roy's car breaks down and costs $2,000 to repair. McCracken convinces Munson to hustle some amateur bowlers. They realize they were fleeced just as Munson realizes that McCracken poured sugar in his gas tank. McCracken escapes as Munson has his hand amputated as revenge. 17 years later, Soured Munson convinces Ishmael a naive Amish farmer to compete in Reno for $500,000 to save his farm from foreclosure. He convinces Ishmael along the way to smoke, drink, and gamble. They face and beat Stanley who hits his girlfriend Claudia just before seeing that the pair did not have the money to gamble with. Claudia, Munson, and Ishmael escape and join forces, hustling their way to the tourney. Munson takes Ishmael and tries to abandon Claudia. She's waiting in the car, leading to a fist fight between her and Munson. Ishmael runs away and they look for him. Along the way, they stop in Iowa and Roy reflects on how far he's fallen. Claudia and Munson bear Bury the hatchet and find Ishmael stripping for cash. Yeah, that's a thing that. In this
1: Just why? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's not
1: good. <sighs> did, did we say the buffoon is often used as a transphobic tool? Because it is. Then here's some.
0: It's definitely used there as one for sure. They arrive in Reno and see McCracken. Ishmael takes a swing and breaks his hand. Claudia is apprehended by Stanley. Roy has no choice but to bowl with his prosthetic hand. Ishmael is rounded up by his brother as Roy advances to the finals with McCracken. He loses but gets money from endorsements. Roy stops drinking, reunites with Claudia, and pays off the farm, telling Ishmael's father that his son saved them. Claudia and Roy leave the Amish community after sharing a kiss.
1: It is just a wild ride of garbage. It um, The one thing I will say at the top, bowling pays better than boxing. When Rocky wins, at the beginning of Rocky, we were talking about, he's taking home like tens of dollars. I mean, it's probably a bigger tournament, right? He's winning a bigger tournament if he's walking away with 2K. And he's got all those people watching him while he dances.
0: Well, it's also (laughs) 20 years later. And I think uh, Roy is going for 500K in the ESPN tournament.
1: I'm talking about the first one at the beginning. He wins $2,000. And until his car breaks down, he's doing pretty good. (laughs) Yeah,
0: $2,000 seems high on that, doesn't it? And he didn't have to get punched once is all I'm saying. (laughs) Rocky got punched a bunch of times. (laughs) Well, he lost his hand, to be fair.
1: (laughs) Well, that was unrelated. So I wanted to to bring Trujillo in here right after you read that. I think this is interesting. The stencil we've been reading from the very beginning. So many stencils from the beginning, but this is the one that I love. We said that there's basically six things that make a hegemonic masculine individual. A hero. The first is that they're characterized by physical force and control. The second is that they have this kind of acceptance or failure that they have to fulfill some kind of occupational achievement. They have to be great, not just acceptable, but great. There has to be familial patriarchy this movie's chock full of boyhood stuff opening and closing in both characters i think you've got father-son relationships that open and close at both ends of the book the frontiersmanship is number four and it's so fun in this movie because it's just road tripping out there in reno nevada it's a very 90s sounding road tripping version of the frontier (laughs) there it is heterosexuality yeah this movie's really uncomfortable in terms of how it is very afraid of um anything at all that is homosexual or transsexual uh and this movie i would say is idealized heterosexuality because women have to fit into a very small box Whereas dudes can look like the protagonists in this movie and that's just fun and then last of course the gray area of unaccountability so many shady things going yeah. on in all angles here and we are just overlooking all of it because the story though they need to get to the end and we've watched five movies now and we did not do this for bring it on and we should have and in the batch episode I'm gonna but for this movie it's like ding 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 right all the way
0: down weirdly even for the Amish dude. And as far as the gray area of accountability goes, that is absolutely where this movie lives. I mean, Woody Harrelson's character is supposed to be an awful human being. You see him up high, and then he's a scumball, and they don't excuse it in the movie, but then you're supposed to fall in love with him at the end of the movie because he does the right thing. It's that horrible thing where it's like he had like a 100 liquor bottles in his apartment, and he poured them all out. So <laughs> And he tucked his shirt in, and he's part of his hair, okay? So, there. Done. <laughs> New man. And I'm going to be honest, man. If you have the kind of money like he had when he left that apartment, you don't have 100 bottles of liquor to pour out. Right. You don't, dude. You're going one at a time. Right. Maybe two. But that's all you can afford.
1: And you're not leaving anything in the last one before you go get the new one. (laughs) There's nothing left in the cupboard.
0: Yeah, if anything, that 100 bottles was because you drank 98 of them before you left.
1: There's a whole song about it, I think. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) should we sing it uh no <laughs> His arch is, is very weird. Ishmael is your classic buffoon. So objection is discussed. That gets heaped on the people throughout this movie in very, very predictable ways. And it is predictably associated with bowling. This is what made me chuckle. When they walk into the stadium, we have said one of the moments that we can expect for every single one of these movies is when they show up to the big thing. And we've gotten that and they show up and they look around and they're like, I never knew that it could be as big and grand as it is. And Ishmael is definitely there and he's like, world-class athletes and it's a fat phobic joke but it it pivots to all these people sitting there eating and drinking and smoking and being quote disgusting and abject right and there's the predictable and classist and racist joke if fat phobia is inherently anti-blackness which deshaun harrison says it is and i think that's probably true
0: there's a joke fast on its heels too that's definitely a classist joke that makes me laugh which is they go up she's like oh it looks like you have previous fees so you have to catch up on them and he's like how much is it and she He's like $19 and he's like oh and they're ready to leave like, <laughs> it's like over it's 17 dollars. years of
1: interest and fees and yeah. all this other and penalties <laughs> and it's like 38 bucks and I'm like bowling
0: <laughs> that's what I love about that though that's actually kind of realistic if I go to a bowling alley and they're like dude you have to pay like 38 bucks to go bowl I might be like um, <laughs> it's a lot <laughs>
1: yeah this movie did make me miss the old uh, sleeping giant lanes bowling alley there I'm definitely gonna say that I, I wanted to point out that I thought that it was amazing that when Ishmael is introduced, his strike sounds like a clap of thunder. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that, but it is biblical, of course. (laughs) It is also this physical force and control story, right, that we have. He's the guy that's got that bowling strike that's just incredible. The occupational achievement is so interesting because Roy has been framed by his failure. I want to touch briefly here, if we can, on defeated masculinity, the celebration of failure on masculinity, the victimization of masculinity. This movie does this in... In ways that Rocky doesn't, and I think that right there would be a very, very interesting cut on just the way that like the defeated masculine character works. I know the whole batch is losing the big game, but there's just a whole vein of research out there about how sad, beaten men are typically just the inverse stencil of the hegemonic man that we talk about here with Trujillo and the toxic man, and it's because they're deprived of sex, and they're deprived of money, and they're deprived of power. Uh, the hair. You could write so much. <laughs> you <laughs> the bowling hair performances between Bill Murray and Woody Harrelson's character. I looked for lit on this. There's not much, man. This is one of those rare movies that kind of comes up empty in that regard. I was surprised.
0: I suspect a lot of comedies aren't going to have the lit, honestly. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, but they're probably fused with another genre. I think it's part of that aging out because you have to get movies that people are still going to watch, right?
1: Well, (laughs) when I went looking at the bromance stuff, I'll throw these in here just for fun. There's a... Um, article by Peter um, Alalunis, I think. Peter Alalunis from Mediascape, which is UCLA's Journal of Cinema and Media Studies, for fall of 2009. Male Masculinity and the Celebration of Failure, The Frat Pack, Women, and the Trauma of Victimization in the Dude Flick. Goes through like old school and like a whole bunch of comedies, right? Yeah. And, and you're right. Like there are a few, but uh, I think you're right. There will be fewer. The other one is John Alberti's I Love You Man, Bromances and Construction of Masculinity and the Continuing Evolution of the Romantic Comedy. Quarterly Review of Film and video uh, is who published that one. I am looking for the year.
0: And while you're looking for that, that first paper references the frat pack out of style. Nobody cares about the frat pack anymore. That was 13 years ago that paper was written. Yeah, right. <laughs>
1: 2013 is 2013 is when this came
0: out. With earbuds. Raise your hand if you remember who's in the frat pack. I do, but it's way more fun to watch you Google it.
1: And then smile at the person on the bus that's looking at you wondering why you are raising your hand. <laughs> the misogyny vein obviously comes from uh, Jean Kilborn. She has an incredible uh, series called Killing Us Softly. Number four is the most recent. There are newer versions of this in different veins, but I really love her still.
2: Well, what does advertising tell us about women? It tells us, as it always has, that what's most important is how we look. So the first thing the advertisers do is surround us with the image of ideal female beauty. Women learn from a very early age that we must spend enormous amounts of time, energy, and above all, money striving to achieve this look and feeling ashamed and guilty when we fail. And failure is inevitable because the ideal is based on absolute flawlessness. She never has any lines or wrinkles. She certainly has no scars or blemishes. Indeed, she has no pores. Grown women are often infantilized in ads and increasingly, little girls are sexualized. Now, I've been talking about this for decades. I wrote a book about it and it's getting worse. This little girl is nine and this is happening in a culture in which there's widespread sexual abuse of children. Girls are encouraged to present themselves as strippers and porn stars, to remove their pubic hair, and to be sexually available while expecting little or nothing in return.
1: Ideal femininity for her is infantilized, it is sexualized, but it cannot be a, or we will punish it and call it a. It is objectified, which means it's talked about and moved about, used and won. It is supposed to be small and quiet, and it will frequently be a victim. It's going to straddle this line, literally, between being a and being very, very innocent. And it's going to go back and forth across that line very, very willingly. And I think that everything from the women that are rejected in this movie to the performance, um, Claudia, obviously, Vanessa Angel, she's really, really good in this movie in terms of like what the 90s is giving her to do and then when you take a look at these stencils it's like oh my god and and the montage where they start gambling and she starts being eye candy to the tune of I want candy that is Gene Kilborn par excellence it is just this neat little package that you can go and see all of the things that I just said in a list happening before your eyes and we're supposed to laugh at it and it's like I agree that I think it's likely that comedy is underrepresented but I think that the power of comedy is well understood in criticism. And I think that when we agree to laugh at, you know, constant portrayals of women sexualizing themselves for the gaze of men so that the bowling competition can be a victory, I just don't even know where to begin. I think of little children watching this movie and wondering what to think.
2: As as they learn that their sexual behavior will be rewarded, they learn to sexualize themselves, to see themselves as objects. These images cause real harm to real girls and women. Girls exposed to sexualized images from a young age are more prone to eating disorders, depression, and low self-esteem. Inevitably, the objectification leads to violence, and that's become much more extreme, too. Advertising often normalizes and trivializes battering, sexual assault, and even murder.
0: I didn't watch it with my kid. I knew better. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i thought i was like
1: i bet i could watch this with callum and then i was like no i'm, I'm probably no i'm not gonna watch this with callum I, and i'm really glad i did not
0: never watch something pg-13 with your kids from earlier than maybe 2015
1: <laughs> those 80s and 90s comedies are going to require both a lot of explanation and a lot of introspection if you are <laughs> of the same age as me and biggs here
0: champ takes church going chucklehead to championship discovers decency during the drive
1: just really, really solid alliteration there. The buffoon is, this is obviously Randy Quaid's character in this movie, but people famously will talk about like Homer Simpson and of course Peter Griffin.
0: There's Mongo from Blazing Saddles, which I referenced earlier.
1: This person is going to be naive and or willfully ignorant. A key component of the buffoon is one, they are dumb. They're definitely dumb. And it's a kind of naive dumb. It's a kind of good, happy, joyful, boyish dumb. They're just a big key. Kid, we'll say. Uh, and then there's also a willful ignorance. I'm not going to learn that. Uh, I'm not going to learn that. I'm not learning that. I'm not going to learn that. And it is a fundamental component of who they are. It makes them generally incapable of doing pretty much anything without constant supervision. Like they literally baby Randy Quaid in this movie. And there are some very weird moments like the sunscreen moment where it just goes over the top with the mommy stuff. And that's a fundamental part of the buffoon. This character, when he is a white man, he's going to be adored. He's going to be characterized, one, as someone that typically has a kind of heart of gold. And if he doesn't have that, then he is going to be the butt of the, the constant joke in here. They typically turn to slapstick. So if they don't have the heart of gold, the example is called Jackass. And it is still a buffoon, um, but it's less the heart of goldy type. And in each case, the, the people that don't like Jackass jackass don't, I'm one of those, they don't like Jackass. It's gross and stupid and why and don't and just stop. But um, the people that will laugh at it and think that it is funny and things, they're looking at a version of the buffoon that is very, very similar to what we see with Homer and all these other people that are supposed to have this kind of moral heart of gold. And it's that heart of gold pivot that's really gross because in the research, they say that it is there, that the, that the literature says that all the women and girls uh, and the men that, that fall in love with these terrible men that are are not introspective about their kind of buffoonery, that you can wait it out. You can wait it out. He's going to come around. You can save him. Deep down, there's a good person there. You see this in toxic ways in the ab- abyss and in The War of the Worlds, Alien Movie Project talked about the, the toxic like jerk dad that doesn't know anything and he's just mean to everyone. He's not a buffoon. He's just that that toxic man dude, the man child, the man baby, I think we called him, right? In those episodes, the buffoon is much more um boyish and that is Randy Quaid fawning around in the back of the car. When this is a woman, we will call her a bimbo and uh, the politics of the bimbo are deeply sexualized and we see what I would call characteristics of bimbo counterpoint happening throughout this movie typically with huge, huge, huge hair, huge, huge, huge breasts lots and lots and lots of legs um, big lips, say nothing huge eyes uh, there's a whole bunch of women coming and going on the side of men in power in moments of sports money in this movie, probably is a parody, but there it is, and then obviously we said at the top and the research abounds with examples, if the buffoon is trans if the buffoon is black, we hate it. We hate that person. We hate them. The character will be frequently the, the butt of excesses of mockery, potentially violence. It's gross. And and if you watch this movie at any point in time and don't know that history, uh, it's just this like, you know, men never knowing how to take care of themselves and always being the hero of the movie somehow. <laughs> but within that history, this movie is just awful. You know, it apologizes for all of the wrong people. The article that um I absolutely loved I was going to talk about it at the end I'll throw it here Kelly Oliver's the male gaze is more relevant uh, and more dangerous than ever she said <laughs> I just think that that is true <laughs> so I'm glad we talked about this movie I guess I say because it gave me the example to cut and share the cut of the buffoon uh, this particular notion of idealized femininity abject dirty poor people gross movie bigs <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: what
1: What do you think <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, I think it's gross and abhorrent. It also made me laugh like maybe five times. So that was a lot less than when it came out in 96. I think I laughed all the way through it at first. And as I get older and wiser, I'm just like, and honestly, some of the jokes just don't hit anymore. Like they have an indecent proposal run in there. People with the earbuds, raise your hand if you remember that in 1993, Woody Harrelson was in a movie called Indecent Proposal because it was all anybody wanted to talk about up to 1996 and then never again. And you. That now, and I'm like, I bet nobody gets this joke anymore who's not our age or older.
1: They make the joke at the beginning the father son, where it's like, We have a, ga- a, p- a game in the yard, you think they're gonna go play baseball? They go bowling, <laughs> it's amazing. That made me laugh. There, there, classic joke,
0: or the fact that his watch was broken. He gives a whole speech about how time stopped, and then you find out a few minutes later he just didn't wind it, and he's like, Oh, there's a winder, huh? <laughs> See, you're laughing at that, dude. That's kind of good.
1: This is the first moment that I have laughed at that, because when the watch showed up, I thought of the Cracker Jack box compass from contact because kate has pointed out that this is the the little token that will show up in the movie that will come back at the end yeah and when it shows up at the end he, she's like here i fixed it and he's like oh you fixed it. i'm like this is stupid this means nothing and then she's like i wound it and he's he's like oh you just had to wind i'm like i didn't and then you point out that's like no dude that is the joke okay that is funny <laughs> What? I was so disappointed with it. I was so pissed off with the whole movie <laughs> at that point that I was just unwilling to laugh at a very clearly absurd, absurd joke. There are a few chuckle moments in what is otherwise a hot dumpster fire of 90s form fitting classic nonsense. I don't know what do you want. It's
0: a terrible movie, dude. If it fit our theme.
1: Everything I read was like, they were so crushed that this movie didn't make a bunch of money. The budget was $27 million, Opening, $5.5 Not good, Biggs. Not great. No. <laughs> the worldwide gross is $25 million.
0: Oof. This was one of those ones nobody saw in the theater. Everybody saw on video. Stars, HBO. You saw it even more and more and more. It, it's one of those. It's a grower not a shower
1: they blamed the olympics that that's what was going on and i'm like i remember when this movie came out and i did not care i saw the trailer and i was like
0: "Eh." (laughs) as did america on video yeah right
1: (laughs) i think that's really ultimately what it was so there it is
0: (laughs) mccracken talks turkey with (laughs) munson
1: I will say that I forgot that this was a batch of movies where they lose and for a moment I thought he was going to win and when he hit that strike and got to gloat all the way off the end I was like oh damn I did not see that coming. <laughs> this movie set me up pretty well to expect him to get everything. It makes no sense that he can just suddenly bowl yeah. with a prosthetic hand. This no makes sense me- at all. It took us 45 minutes to bring that very obvious plot hole up in this Am episode. I the only one
0: who thinks that like maybe they only have the prosthetic hand in this plot to begin with so that when Bill Murray wins and is celebrating he can hurl his hand into the crowd
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's all ableist humor but I think it's there for the shot that was in the trailer of the bowling ball going down the thing with the hand attached to it yeah, that's somehow hitting a strike it's like just this is not how physics nor bowling work they did the big showdown at the end well enough for me to think that he was going to win and then I thought it was like kind of a cop out when he got the money anyway
0: oh yeah Yeah, okay you know what's most terrible about 90s comedies? Tell me this about the comedy. It's
1: just like, it never mattered at all. (laughs)
0: Well, Brandon and I talk about this and we're obsessed with it and there's like two hallmarks of 90s comedies. The first is, it always works out, right? Which we see in this one. (laughs) But here's the more lame one. The mob is involved somehow or somebody mob adjacent. Every stupid 90s comedy somehow the mob is involved and like you get Stanley, it seems like he's mobbed up. Like should that he's mobbed up in some ways yeah. right
1: there's a lot of subtle mob stuff going on cutting people's fingers off
0: like trading briefcases of money and stuff a
1: lot of eyeliner the mob's known for eyeliner they definitely it's
0: such a weird choice <laughs> like it, it's 1996 <laughs> what was with the eyeliner well he's a bad guy he's, <laughs> the audience
1: didn't know he was a, they, they screened it a few times and the audience just didn't get the vibe so they're like a couple more layers of
0: eyeliner and the audience is like he's bad <laughs> this is usually what they do and what I'm showing Aaron in the camera It's facial hair, dude, like a goatee or something. That's usually how you represent this guy's evil. Mm -hmm. I I look the way I look. I look kind of friendly. You put me in a movie. They're going to like put shadows on my face and I will be (laughs) a button man in the background.
1: Yeah. They're going to give you a leather jacket or a jean jacket and your arms will be crossed and you'll have a flat face
0: (laughs) and some eyeliner
1: (laughs) and uh, and some eyeliner and there'll be smoke going in between you and the actual
0: plot where people are
1: making a deal.
0: We'll continue with Fields of Glory after a quick word from our sponsor. Sponsors.
1: Hey, listener, this is Aaron from Fields of Glory, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Biggs, and we want to tell you that if you've just not gotten enough of all of the wonderful ideas that he and I have to share about movies, have not gotten enough of us talking to people that we know to access their wonderful ideas about movies and other things, well, good news for you, we have a Patreon. We have a place that you can go to get all sorts of really cool content that you can't find anywhere else. Biggs, you want to tell them all the details about what's on there?
0: Yeah, so we have four batch episodes for every three episodes where we do a theme, we break it down and figure out how all of them are alike. We've got five watch-alongs to the movies for the Karate Kid, Rudy, The Natural, Kingpin, and The League of Their Own, with a couple of guests sprinkled in there. We've got a Lost Zero episode from the original idea of what we were going to do on the show that we had to scrap because it was far too long. We've got expanded episodes for Rocky, Rudy, Any Given Sunday, and He Got Game. We've got a Hot Take, which is a fake sports show that we did back in the day. We've got 11 real roulettes where we picked a movie at random and broke it down
1: wild random chaos
0: (laughs) we've got an episode of star trek versus star wars where we were comparing the two franchises we've got a that's debatable superman versus batman that's a total of 14 original episodes 27 all together with over 28 hours of content so please check out our patreon page and get all of it
1: spanning all sorts of different movies biggs and i are interested in sports movies but we like to talk about other stuff too there are just so many cool guests there's so much cool content and you can find it on our Patreon page,
0: patreon.com slash fields of glory.
1: That's patreon.com slash fields of glory.
0: Go there and
1: make a contribution. We are not wealthy people. We spend lots of time making the content that might've helped you do your dishes or drive somewhere that was not very entertaining or interesting. If you've enjoyed any of our content at all, if you want to find more patreon.com slash fields of glory.
0: All right, MVP, who you got? I know you're not going to give it to a character. You're going to give it to something weird because, like, you don't want to give it to any of the actors or writers of this movie. <laughs> so let's hear, is it the city of Iowa? <laughs> and yes, so, I know that's not a city.
1: You are so close. <laughs> I wrote, Barnes. Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> Because I spent so long sitting here trying to find something that I like about this movie. And at the end of the day, I was like, well, barns are pretty cool. (laughs) So they they were building a barn. And that's because barns are, in fact, very valuable things, listener. Biggs, who did you say? Hopefully
0: you have something more relevant than that. I'm going to give it to Blues Traveler. Because I get to watch Blues Traveler for like five minutes, and I did not like them in 1996, and I like them now. And I'm just like, oh, dear. oh yeah, that's when John Popper was bigger. That's kind of fun watching him play the harmonica. I know they're not really playing because it's exactly what's on the album, but I kind of dig it. I'm gonna be honest, I kind of dig it. I like watching I the so Amish people angry. stage diving.
1: That <laughs> so would that
0: happened. It did remind me of Bring It On. I think it is funny
1: that Bring It On and then this movie ended pretty much. The same way with the credit, you know, like casting call, music video kind of thing going on. Oh my God! I was so angry when Blue's <laughs> Traveler at the end of this. I was like, Oh
0: God, get! <laughs> it's it not even so their biggest song. That's what I <laughs> love about it. Too. Oh, dear. <laughs> Oof
1: sixth man. Who did you get for the sixth man, Biggs?
0: Ishmael. He pulls off naive and dumb so well that I don't need an explanation as to why he took a giant bong rip in the middle of a hustling trip. Good job. (laughs) By the way, I just want to say, Amish people, it's like one colony that doesn't believe in machines and a lot of the stuff that they're saying. Like It's one teeny tiny colony. Most of the Amish drive cars. Most of the Amish are okay with drinking, uh, smoking, (laughs) all of this stuff. Like We have some of them, here in montana they're called Hooterites, but they are an amish colony and like they do all of that stuff the stuff that ishmael does maybe not the tattooing i have no idea but the rest of it they're probably fine with honestly right i talk to them all the time
1: yeah they come into piccolo's music when i worked there and they would trade us vegetables for harmonicas (laughs) i
0: traded them an 18 pack of bush light and a 24 ounce bottle of mickey's for some hoot wine.
1: Oh, see, that's a that's a good trade right there.
0: They said it was for the pigs and he literally did quote marks <laughs> when he said for the pigs. <laughs> Because I've already seen them in the bars. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs>
1: right. So I said that the sixth man was bowling. That's what I said, because I, it did. It made me miss bowling just generally. I have not been bowling, obviously, since before the pandemic and much longer than that. And I wish I had gone because I'm terrible at it. And I like the sound and the place and, I don't know, the food. I like everything about it. The Billy Zabka Most Outstanding Villain Award goes to...
0: It's Big Earn, man. Or you can do your Bill Murray's if you want. But yeah, I mean, like, he's a grotesque character. There's no redeeming quality whatsoever. They don't even try and put one on him. And the actor playing him turned out to be really despicable. It's bigger and across the board.
1: Part of me was like, we could put Bill Murray here and bigger like, this is a great answer. I wrote The Male Gaze. Laura Mulvey wrote about The Male Gaze sure. a whole long time ago. And we already mentioned Kelly Oliver's article about how The Male Gaze is more relevant and dangerous than ever. That is the villain of this movie because it is what justifies the whole damn thing. And most of that man's career, I would say, okay, now, for Black Monday, I did in fact write four words, burn it all down. That's what I wrote for Black Monday. What do you have?
0: Well, to me, there's only one manager in this entire movie, so Roy Munson. No coach should ever teach their athlete to smoke and drink, even in a bowling alley. You didn't start the fight with Claudia, but anytime you lay hands on a co-worker, you've gotta go. And you punch your athlete in addition to pouring tobacco in his eyes. Then lost the big tourney because you let him swing on your nemesis. Coaching is clearly not your calling. I hope you have a good career hawking rubbers. So
1: when you put it like that, it doesn't sound like he did a good job, Eggs. But look at how far they got. <laughs> he did a terrible <laughs> job.
0: But the only credit that I'll give him is generally your coach doesn't then cut you a check for five hundred thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> i was gonna say his athlete came home with half a million dollars, and he heard him from across the bar. Someone's picking him up and getting sued for when he punches his next co-worker or whatever. Uh, yeah. Good decision. This movie was garbage. <laughs> Don't watch this movie. Dear listener, do not mistake the fact that we talk about these movies with uh, an endorsement to go and watch them. This is post-op, post-mortem. You have already watched this movie. Shame on all of us. Let's unpack what we have learned. Okay, I'm done.
0: But if you're curious about what a mid-90s comedy looks like... This is pretty much a middle-of-the-road example. It's a case study <laughs> for all of
1: the wrong reasons and apparent, and some of the right ones. Yeah, there it is. Right.
0: I'm not even sticking up for it. I'm just saying like, this is well-representative of humor in 1996. So poll question. Who channels the most big earned energy in their sport? Michael Jordan for basketball? Tom Brady for football? Pete Rose for baseball? Tiger Woods for golf? Or Lionel Messi for soccer? They all have reasons for that. You can Google it and look it up. <laughs> Your Google history is going to look weird after <laughs> listening to this podcast. But.
1: All of the above. All of the above.
0: All of the above. Yeah, and I would say that three out of five of them perfectly fit hegemonic masculinity, uh, but two of them are not white, so they don't quite fit in there, right? right. Well, they don't yeah.
1: have to be white. They have to embody whiteness. <laughs> And it helps to be white a lot.
0: Mm. But <laughs> I'm not going to say how many out of this embody whiteness then because that's not my place. <laughs> it's right. a complicated
1: situation there.
0: We'll be back next week, concluding our block on losing the big game with cool runnings. But coming up next, Howie Long guest stars as an old teammate of Clarence who comes to visit. But Cordell uncovers a smuggling ring that puts a damper on their relationship. Walker, Texas Ranger, coming up next.
1: What's the story behind this pending paternity suit against you?
0: Oh, that's not a case at all. The woman's a stone-faced liar. Let's not even talk about that. I I pulled out her really... Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones in the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to... Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the
2: Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project.